The scripture is from Matthew 16, 13 through 25. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Julie. Have any of y'all ever heard of St. Mary's, Kansas? Okay. There's a, yes, a gentleman in the back. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to tell you about St. Mary's, Kansas for a little bit. Half an hour from Topeka, people are flocking from all over the United States to live there. Why, you may ask? I'll tell you. There's a society of, uh, it's called Society of St. Pius X, which is a sect of Catholicism. And St. Mary's, this town in Kansas, has a, sort of become this haven for members of this society so that they can all go live together and all believe the same things and all their neighbors believe the same things and they don't have to worry about being encountering and doing life with folks that see things differently. And the uh, parish rector said this, we can't keep things out that we would like to keep out completely, but the environment in St. Mary's is as conducive as possible for our children, our people, to save their souls. Okay, so this is our vision series for Midtown 12 South, and this is week two. And so this is our vision. We're going to start a town called Midtown. <laughs> We're all going to live there together. That's not what's going to happen. Um, some of you were nervous. A few people started getting up. Um, this is not a cult, I promise. Uh, okay, so think about this, though. When you, when you hear me tell you about St. Mary's, think about the implications. I don't know what your initial gut reaction to that story was, but think about what does this say about what, what these folks believe about who God is? Like his mission? What's he doing in the world? What does that communicate if, if we are all following him, and we all huddle up together to be safe. 
What does that communicate about his power? Is God able to do powerful things, or is he afraid of the world and what's happening in the world? What does it say about God's love? God's love for the outsiders. So I had this sort of visceral reaction of like, no, this is not it. And like, these people are a little off. And I was really getting judgmental. And then I realized, oh, wait, I think I might be more like them than I want to admit that I am. And, and what I'm talking about is this. It's this whole idea of radical individualism. This, this whole, whole idea that, you know, it's what we're really talking about today. We are in the vision series, and we're staying in this passage in Matthew 16 for these three weeks. This is week two. Last week, Elliot talked about the, our spheres of, um, of, of sovereignty that God's given us. And this week, we're talking about loving the marginalized. Okay. So how can I love the marginalized when I am so radically individualistic and hyper self-focused? Is that even possible? But that's how I spend a lot of my time living. Because, you know, I can look at St. Mary's and say, that's crazy. But like, what if they're like actually one step ahead of me and that like they're at least in some kind of community and I just kind of appear to be in community, but I'm sort of running this one-man wolf pack that just happens to be around other people. And, and really, when you peel back the layers, I'm maybe not in community at all. I'm just surrounding myself with people that will help me accomplish what I want to accomplish, and I'm not really thinking about them at all. Think about this in the context of Nashville. What if... What if you came here to fulfill your dreams and you just selectively see parts of the city that are beneficial to you fulfilling your dreams and living your best life and you choose not to see the other parts or you selectively see neighbors, other people in this community that will help you live your best life and selectively choose not to really see those other neighbors. And a crazy thing starts to happen. You know, we may not be living in this commune um, trying to save our souls, which, by the way, we don't believe that you can do that. But um, it might even be worse. I might be living alone, not even thinking about my soul at all, just trying to avoid suffering and live my best life. And so what God has called his people to with him is to be this like healing salve on all the damaged places and all the rough and tender places uh, that have been hurt by the fall and the people. And instead, I'm actually a parasite. That I would come to this place and just suck it dry for whatever it can help me with, and then I just move on. And when I read about things or hear about things, I'm like, oh, that's not my problem. I'm not from Nashville. I'm just here to do my thing. And it's like no community, no attachment. And so what, what the Lord is doing in this passage with Peter is what we desperately need him to do with us. Because before I'm even, before loving the marginalized in my city and in my community is even a possibility, 
Like Jesus has to do some major transformative work in my heart first. And he's got to do what he was doing with Peter and take me on this journey, take us on this journey from radical individualism to radical identification. That there no longer is outsiders and insiders. He's trying to, he is teaching us and reshaping us to see the way that he sees. And so at the beginning of our passage, you get this, this exchange between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus says, hey, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. And he's like, nailed it. That's the right answer. Great. And he's like, you are blessed by God. God blesses you because God has revealed this to you because he loves you, because he wants to be with you. And Peter's like, great, that's all good. And then there's this record scratch moment where Jesus says, now, don't go tell anyone that I'm the Christ. And you're like, wait, what? And it makes me think about like when you've got somebody who's really cool and then you've got like somebody who's kind of like a hanger on and the cool person's like, hey, do me a favor. This is great. But like, don't tell anyone that we hang out, okay? <laughs> like, that would be better. And there's, there's actually a couple reasons that uh, Jesus is telling Peter not to tell people that he's the Christ yet. And we're not going to talk about all those reasons, but one of the reasons is that Peter doesn't get it yet. So Jesus is introducing us to this idea that I can be loved by God. Like, God really loves Peter at this point. And I can love God. Peter really loves God at this point. And I can spend a whole lot of time with Jesus and still miss the, the whole thing. You get that? Think about that. And so it's really important that we, we pay attention here. And so what, what Jesus is saying to Peter when he says, hey, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ, because he's like, you're not ready to tell people that yet because you're actually going to screw it up because you are moving and grooving and thinking in ways that are actually contrary to what I'm trying to do and what I'm all about, and you don't even know it. But that's okay. I love you. And, you know, we're in this relationship. And so he, he is taking Peter from this place where he really thinks he, he knows, but he doesn't know, and he's having to take his radical individualism or the things of man and exchange it and transform and give him his own uh, radical identification or the things of God. And so that's where we're going today. Two points. First, we're going to look at the things of man, and then we're going to look at the things of God. So the things of man, verse 21 and 22 here. Um, Jesus is telling Peter and his disciples, okay, here's, here's the things that you can't really grasp yet, is this ship that I'm piloting is going down. Like, we are on a descending journey. Uh, I, am, I am willingly and knowingly fully facing suffering at the hands of unjust, sinful men who are my enemies, and I'm going to let them kill me. Like, do you understand that that's what I'm talking about? And that's this journey that I'm on, and you are following me. And Peter says... That's interesting because that's not where I'm going. I'm actually going somewhere else. I'm on the other elevator going up. Uh, this is an ascending journey. This is a place that I have come and I have attached myself to you as my master. I'm following you. I'm following literally behind you in your footsteps, hoping that you are leading me up. 
And now that you're telling me you're leading me down, Peter's cards are shown, even if he doesn't realize it, that um, we now learn that the master this whole time has kind of been Peter. He's like, hey, I'm cool with Jesus as long as he's taking me to where I want to go, because at the end of the day, where I want to go is what I'm all about. And so I will use Jesus to get me there, but I've got these boundaries, and as, you know, it's a pretty, I'm giving Jesus a wide berth here. Like, there can be some things that don't match up exactly, but if he steps outside of these boundaries, I'm going to have to step in and take my life back and say, no, thank you. I'm going somewhere else. And so that's what he's, that's, that's what's going on here. And when, when Peter, you know, it's like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if we really know what it's like, but the closest thing I could think of is it'd be like watching on the sidelines uh, a freshman quarterback at Alabama taking Nick Saban by the collar and being like, hey, you listen to me. You need to sit down and let me teach you about football. Like that dude ain't going to be on the team for very long. And that's exactly what Peter is doing here with Jesus. It says he turned around and he rebuked him. Like Jesus is the master. He is the student. Um, this was unheard of. And he rebuked Jesus and said, far be it from you. This should never happen to you. And what Peter's really saying is, far be it from me. I mean you. Like this should never happen to me. I mean you. Like it's about me. Like I don't want to go down. So but, but I feel bad saying that, so I'm just going to pretend it's about you. I just care about you, Jesus. This shouldn't happen. But it's really just this, like, the, the things of man. What are the things of man? What are the things that Peter is protecting here and what Peter is all about here? Jesus has to say, Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. Peter's like, what was all that blessed by God talk earlier? And so it's like what we said earlier, you, it is entirely possible for you and I to love God and be loved by God and spend a lot of time with Jesus and not get it. And guess what else? It goes a level deeper. It's entirely possible to love God, be loved by God, and be with Jesus and be actively doing the works of Satan and desiring the same things that Satan desires. That's what Jesus is telling Peter right here is look, man, where your heart is and where your head is is a very bad place. In fact, it is diametrically opposed to everything that I'm trying to do. And so he says, you are thinking about the things of man. So then we got to ask that question, what are the things of man? It's just me everything. It's me everything. It's my hopes, my fears, my scarcity, my orphan mentality. What am I going to do? Where is, where is that going to come from? How am I going to get my needs met? Me, 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 all the time. It is, it is a world and a life set on fire by fear and fear of running out, fear of pain, and really ultimately fear of death. something God's been exposing in my heart lately uh, with our kids. We got three little boys, and he's been showing me largely ever since I've been a father, I've been living out of this anxiety around my kids the whole time. That I just have these deep anxieties of what if 
something happens to them? And what if, what if I, I'm the one that does something to them? What if I don't parent them well and I screw their life up? You know, and so every little moment now becomes prisoner to this thought, and it's this anxiety of, I've got to do the right thing, and I've got to have enough energy left in the tank, because what if I run out because I'm tired? And this is hard. And so every spill, every discipline issue, everything, it's just this anger builds up, and it's not anger at my kids. It's, it's actually fear that's coming out as anger, fear of not having enough. What if I don't have enough? What's going to happen to me? I'm going to suffer and die, is, is really what's at the end of that train of thought. And Jesus is coming to free us from that. When I live out of that fear, I actually can't love anybody. I can't love my kids when I'm living out of that fear. So how am I going to even think about loving the marginalized in my city when I can't even love the people that live in my own house? Like, it, it is not going to happen. I'm stockpiling everything all the time because I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough, so how can I give anything away? I might need that later. Me, me, me. That's, that's the things of man. And so, uh, it, it makes us, when, I'm, when we're living out of this place, when I'm living out of this place, it makes us want to get as far away from suffering and death as possible. So I'm not going to go to the marginalized, right? And when I do, when I do, air quotes, love the marginalized, I'm actually giving myself a gift. I can't really love them when I'm living out of that place. So what I'm really doing is giving my ego a gift or giving my reputation a gift. Because that's, that's all there is to do. It's more stockpiling. So like... Our lives, these, these pursuits of money and success, it's, it's this fear-induced journey to get as far away from suffering and death as possible. And it is a prison. How can I tell when I'm living this way? Because my feelings and responses toward the people who I am, air quotes, loving, uh, when they don't give me what I want in return for that love, uh, when my feelings toward them change. And now there's anger. And, and think about that. Uh, when you go try to love the marginalized and they don't do what you want them to do and then you get angry at them, that's not very helpful, right? It's going to go pile more on the marginalized. Um, and, and they love it, the marginalized do. So, <laughs> yeah, so we end up making demands on the marginalized, not loving them. And so that's the things of man. So have a good Sunday. <laughs> Jesus doesn't leave us there. He wants to give us the things of God. And so that's what we're talking about here. He tells Peter, you are a hindrance to me when you were living and thinking like this because the things of man are a hindrance to the things of God. It is not at all compatible. So then we have to ask this question, what are the things of God? And a good answer for us, a good working definition here is, self-sacrificially loving the other. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That is why I have come. He also says he has come to make enemies of God, sons of God. That is why Jesus came. You know, Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. 
And here's something that uh, the prophet Isaiah says about the Christ in Isaiah 61. When we read this in our call to worship, the spirit of the Lord God is upon him because the Lord has anointed him to do what? To bring good news to the poor. Not to pile up our fear and our scarcity on them. To bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. And we've got to understand that we are those people, right? The poor are not out there. Like the poor that Jesus is talking about is me. Like we are the poor. Look at our poverty. Look at the scarcity that I'm living out of. Look at where the things of man have gotten me. I'm the prisoner. This is prison of my own making, this anxiety, this sin, this just mess. I am bound. I am not free to live the way that I was made to live. Look at how blind I am. Look at the stuff I'm chasing that I think is going to give me life that's actually killing me. So when we understand that we are these people and that Jesus has come to save us and set us free and he shouldered his cross, which was all of my stuff, all of this stuff that imprisons me, my sin and my separation from God and my fear of death, all these things, and he has dealt with it and he has set me free and he has given me new life. I have a new heart. I have an abundance of God's love. I have a father now. I'm not an enemy of God. I'm a son of God. I was lost, and now I'm found. Like, we've got to understand what we have in him before we can ever think of going out because all I have to give is what he's given me. It's the overflow of what he has given me. You know, for those of us who are in Christ, it's we can find ourselves still in this place where Peter was. Because God, remember, God loved him. And God loves us. But I I can be loved by God and love God and just miss the whole thing And, and be living out of this poverty when actually I have an abundance. And so it's this this journey that we're on, part of what's happening in this journey is Jesus helping us to really trust him and believe like you have an abundance. You have everything that you need. And I want you to continue to follow me and learn how to live out of that abundance. You don't have to be afraid of death anymore. You don't have to be afraid of scarcity anymore. You have everything you need. And I've defeated death. And it's, but here's the thing. When he calls us to this life, Again, because the things of God and the things of man do not go together, it's actually a really scary call. It's the call that he he has here in verse 24. He said, look, if anybody's going to follow me, if anybody's going to be my disciple and come after me, you have to deny yourself. What does that mean? It means that that self, that orphan mentality, you've got to put that down. You've got to let it go. And that's terrifying because if you think you're barely hanging on and now you're being told to just let it all go, that's, that's really scary. And so that's, that's the question that he leaves us with is, are you going to trust me? It's like if we are hanging off of a cliff, holding desperately onto this rope, and the rope is splintering and coming apart, and we are literally hanging by a thread. 
And that's our experience of life. Everywhere I go, everything I do, I'm barely hanging on, and I'm white-knuckling, I've got a death grip on everything that I know how to get a death grip on. And then we see this hand come over the top of the cliff. Say, hey, take my hand. But in order to take that hand, you've got to let go. And that's scary because that's the only thing you've ever held on to before. And what Jesus is doing when he comes into our lives and asks us to deny ourselves is to take his hand so that he can pull us up on top of the cliff so that we can live in this wide open expanse of his love and his goodness. That my whole life doesn't have to be this anxiety carnival of hanging off the side of a cliff. That I can actually be free for the first time. But again, that is scary. That is a scary proposition because it means I have to have faith in someone else. I have to have faith in him. And so when Jesus here says, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, I have always read that verse way wrong. Whenever I think about take up my cross, it's like, okay, my sin, my pain, my shortcomings, my whatever. No, 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 no. Remember the gospel that Jesus has already dealt with all of my stuff? That was on his cross. Okay, so what's my cross? My cross, it's like going back to our our little picture here. Once he's pulled us up on top of this cliff, part of the beauty of living with him in this relationship of this wide open expanse of abundance is he actually lets us partner with him because it's so fun and so good for us to go around with him and to reach our hands out and to pull people up off of their little ropes into the safety of home with him. And so when he says, take up your cross and follow me, he's saying, that's what he's talking about. Your cross are the people that I put in your lives to go and love toward me, to go love into this family that you're now a part of. And so taking up the cross is having the the sin and the pain and the junk of other people, our neighbors, the marginalized, willingly taking that on ourselves to say, you know what, I don't have to be afraid of that anymore because I have an abundance. So just like Jesus wasn't crushed, but he actually crushed death, I'm not going to be crushed when I follow and and go along with him and carry, carry the weight of other people's sin and pain on my shoulders because I have an abundance, because he lives in me. I will never run out of energy. I will never run out of what I need to live. And I don't have to be afraid of death. I don't have to be afraid to get some on me because I have defeated death in Christ. So there is no longer anything to fear. It is this overflow of love. It is this overflow of of what we have from our Savior. You know, a lot of times when we think about loving the marginalized, we think about um, what Jesus is doing is he's demanding that we save a little space in our schedule. He's demanding that we shave a little, little excess in our budget to, to give because that's the right thing to do because it's like our membership dues for this little Insiders Jesus Club. Right? I mean, we're laughing because I think that's how we think about it a lot of times. And you kind of roll your eyes and go, oh, like, I don't even have enough time for that, or this is a pain, but I guess I have to do it, because otherwise I will feel bad about myself, and that would be the worst thing ever. Um, <laughs> but no, no, that's not what's going on here at all. No, he, he is giving you and I a new heart. 
a new life to our want to changes. Now we want to do this because we see that it's where life is. Because why? Because it's where he is. He is on this mission. He is doing this. He is going down. And that's this, this great uh, mystery to us of like when he says in verse 25, those who would save their, their lives would lose it. But those who lose their lives for my sake will actually find it. Because why? Because you're going to be with me and I am life and I have defeated death and your life is found in me. And so come with me so I can set you free from what is imprisoning you. Come, come with me so I can set you free from your sin, your self-obsession, all of your anxiety, all of your fear that is rooted in this unbelief and distance from God. Come with me and allow me to give you life. So this is all great, but what does this mean? How do you kind of take this and, and go from here with it? What's this idea of, of moving from radical individualism to radical identification? And so it begins with being radically identified with God and with our family. And that's why we would tell you if you are not a part of a church, then join Midtown. You need to literally attach yourself to God by attaching yourself to his family, to live in a community where you aren't free to just run away whenever you feel like it, because that's still living in the kingdom of the self. But it's to truly learn how to be in community, to be in a small group, to commit yourselves to walking on this journey with other people because you need these other people. You cannot do this alone. And so that's where it starts. It's to, it's to be filled and continue to be filled and poured into and learn how to love as, as an orphan who's been adopted into this family. And then it flows out from there. It's like this just deep, endless, overflowing love of God is just spilling all over you and your life and everything. And, and you were just healed. And then it just overflows the banks of your life out into the lives of the people that he's put in your life. And so the next step is to radically identify with the people that he's chosen to be your neighbors. The people who are your literal neighbors, the people who are your coworkers, the people who serve you meals and coffee, the people who you run into every day. Like these are the people that he's put in your life, but he's also put all of the people of this city are our neighbors because this is where we are. And this whole thing works as a big community. And so he has said, hey, if you want to know who your neighbor is, just look around. I've already given them to you. And go with the overflow of my love and just pour it out on them. Not because you need to make yourself feel better and do a good deed. Because that's, that's not even what Jesus is interested in in the first place. What he's interested in is doing whatever it takes to make all of these lost people family. And so if that means that somebody's really poor and they can't even think straight because they don't know where their next meal is going to come from, that means we need to give them some food so they don't have to worry about that. And they get a foretaste of what Jesus is actually doing in their soul and say, come be a part of this family where we actually don't have scarcity, where you don't have to be afraid of that because we're going to be here helping you meet your needs. It would be the joy of my life to see these lost people all over the city found. And, and you're going to hear from some people today who are, who are out ministering to people in very specific ways through these, these different 
movements and organizations. And what these people are is they are channels for you and I to go find brothers and sisters who are lost and bring them home into our family. And even if we don't get to enjoy them in this life, in this little family of Midtown, this little branch of the family, we'll get to enjoy them in, in our big family forever in eternity. And that's where life is. That's where joy is. But in order to get there, we got to start back here and understand what Jesus is trying to do in us. And so instead of a, uh, a commune where we all huddle up together, afraid of the world, this transformation that he, he accomplishes in our hearts is that we are this family where the door is always open and we're always adopting new brothers and sisters. And that, that is beautiful. That's where life is. Father, um, we, we are so thankful that that is who you are, that you are a father who is always wanting to grow his family and share more love and invite us to, to be a part of that, Lord, that you are transforming our hearts to give us goodness and beauty and to just bleed out healing all over the city. We pray that you would uh, continue to open our eyes. Lord, continue to, to, to tear down the lies in our hearts and our minds that we are living in a scarcity. Lord, but just draw us into a deeper experience of the abundance of your love and let that transform how we live and how we think about others and, and what we love and who we love. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen.